Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them. Annika, she, her. You know, for this episode, should we say that we are dredging up future fanfiction and dragging it back into the savage 21st century? <laughs> Definitely. I suppose, yeah. It depends on how savage you consider this fanfic to be in relationship to the current era i suppose good point this is this fanfic and voyager in general helped me get through the whole pandemic that oh. you know we still haven't gonna out gotten out of so. <laughs> i was gonna say this pandemic that we're definitely yeah. through end of march 2021 <laughs> uh speaking of you why don't we introduce you? Annika, thanks so much for coming on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I, When I heard that this podcast existed, I was very excited. It's such a great idea that no one was doing, and I, it's like so exciting to me. So it's great to be a guest. Thank you. I'm happy to hear awesome. that because I do feel like our niche is like really <laughs> different from most people doing fanfiction podcasts out there. And I'm personally always really yeah. excited to read like good old stories that just get lost in the margins of decades of fandom and internet history that like people aren't necessarily going back and looking at again. Exactly. It feels like, you know, maybe two years is the cutoff for, <laughs> for reading old stories if you go through like regular fandom. So I like, oh. you know, yeah, bringing it all back. You raise a good point there, Annika, which is that my current like fuzzy cutoff for a, a retro fanfic is like 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. Could I get away with retro fanfiction just being like from 2017 at this point? Honestly, that... yeah, I think so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it might blur the lines a little bit, but we've got to stick in our niche, Amato. We've got to be like the extra niche so that, you know, we only have a handful of fans, but they're all very devoted, you know? Right. <laughs> well, it has also been a while since we recorded an episode of Cutting Edge Fanfiction Deep Cut for a new fanfic. Um, True. But we should come back to that as well. Now, Annika, you are a friend of a friend. Uh, a lot of the time I have to just cold call guests completely and say like, hey, you want to be on uh, this podcast that we've got? But <laughs> in your case, you were actually recommended to us by Sue, who was our last Star Trek guest, because I was saying... Yeah, we've done we've done original Star Trek and we've done Next Gen and we've done Deep Space Nine, but like I don't really know anyone who's really into Voyager. And she had a suggestion. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your relationship with Star Trek in general and Voyager in particular? Yes. So I'm a fan of all Star Treks, and I did see the original series first, but I was a very young child and it was late at night on like PBS or something. It wasn't even a regular channel. And the actual, my first actual introduction to Star Trek was watching a stage production of Balance of Terror because my father uh, worked, my father was a theater department professor and one of his students put on Balance of Terror as their senior thesis. And he brought his, his children <laughs> to watch it. So that was my, <laughs> That was my introduction to to Star Trek in general, but I grew up with you know Next Generation and Voyager. Did you want to say in, something? 
Oh yeah, it's interesting hearing you mention staged Star Trek because for years in Portland, Oregon, where we live, they had Trek in the Park, which was people putting on original episodes of Star Trek at various mm -hmm. you know public parks in Portland, and they and were really like, good. They would perform the theme song too, like with a vocalist and everything, and a, like a you know a synthesizer up there. Uh, I miss that. They they stopped doing that a couple of years ago. And I think it's they amazing. Were five years. I saw it twice. I saw Trouble with Tribbles, and I saw the mm -hmm. one with Spock's parents, who's, and I forget the name of that episode. Journey to Babel. Yeah, Journey to Babel. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, tell you're going to be a source of information here. I know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have uh, three younger brothers, and we're all super nerdy geeks, but they say that I'm the top, the top of the heap. So I know all sorts of random facts. That's good. We need that. Like, we're basically, I think a big part of being a nerd is just knowing a lot of random information about your fandom. So we welcome that. That's mm -hmm. a huge part. But yeah, so Voyager is what I consider my trek, which is, I'm, Sue, I'm sure why Sue recommended me, is that I, I'm the biggest fan of Voyager and I do these photo caps of them online where I watch the episode and then I screenshot everything and add little captions like funny captions to them so i'm like midway through season three with that project and my name so i when you asked me if i should be known as annika or pixie because i go by both but my actual first name is tamara and oh. when i was when it was the last season of voyager and i was just starting like I was in college and I was just starting to introduce myself to people. And I told everyone that my name was Annika and, you know, flash forward 15 years later and I got it legally changed, <laughs> but that's after wow. that's seven of nine's real name. So, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So you are a very devoted fan. I'm a very devoted fan. Seven of nine <laughs> is very great. important to me. <laughs> I really well, connected I to that. Yeah. I'm really glad that you're such a fan of Voyager because I'm going to have to admit right now, I'm not sure I've ever seen a episode of Voyager in my life. Oh, you you must have. It was on television all the time. Well, I know. And I, I saw like, I know when we went back to Deep Space Nine, I was like, oh, yeah, I've definitely seen a couple episodes of this. And of course, I grew up a little bit more with Next Gen. But I just can't, like, I'm aware of Janeway because... Obviously, there were all those discussions about, like, debating the captains. And, mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't escape knowledge of Seven of Nine as a geek growing up when I grew up either. Mm -hmm. But, like, I, I went back and watched, like, the key episode for this story. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think that's it. So I'm counting mm -hmm. on you to balance out my complete lack of knowledge here. Wow. Okay. I think I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Having seen yeah. Voyager many, many times. <laughs> and I'm somewhere in the middle. I think we talked about this before, but like I was more like next gen, but then Voyager kind of like started coming out and it was like, oh yeah, gonna watch that. But I think I've rewatched next gen more times than I've rewatched Voyager. I, I can't say for certain. I don't think I would remember every episode of Voyager. Like characters, overarching big plots, not the, the details. So that's what we have Annika for. <laughs> I mean, in my rewatch with my photo caps, even I sometimes am like, 
you know, I vaguely remember this episode, but I don't know how it ends or, you know, it, this one didn't, did, wasn't memorable and didn't stick in my mind. So there's certainly, there's so many episodes, you know, it's not like Discovery where there's only like 10 episodes a season. Right. Voyager has, you know, 20 something. So. Yeah. Whenever I like look back into any of those Star Trek series from that era, there's always like two more seasons of each than I remembered that there should have been. It's like, wait, there's how many seasons of Next Gen? Seven. Right. Seven each. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would have said, like, uh, Voyager was like, oh, probably like four seasons, right? Well, just a lot yeah. of Trek. To be fair, the first season was shorter. The first season was only, I think, 13 episodes. Because it was a mid-season replacement show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Again. My font of that. You know, you know. It's funny though, I feel like Star Trek is one of those things too where like a lot of, especially with Voyager and Next Gen and original Star Trek, like Deep Space Nine had more of that like Babylon 5-esque ongoing plot thing, but those shows were much more episodic, which I mm -hmm. think is why it's so easy to just forget an episode because you could have placed it anywhere in the series and it just would have happened there. Or, you know, sometimes I'll be like, that was totally a next gen episode, but it was a Voyager episode. <laughs> so yeah. All right. <laughs> you head out. Anyway. Yes. We're talking about Voyager today. <laughs> yeah. And you did us a big favor here, Annika, by suggesting the fanfic for us to read, which takes some extra work off of my back, especially when it's like a fandom that I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, I definitely appreciate it. And did you, no problem. Yeah, it sounded like from our communication, you said this is your favorite Voyager fanfic. It is. It's, it is one of my favorite fanfics at all, like in all of fan fiction. I, rem I still remember reading it the first time in you know, 1999, so that was a really long time ago. <laughs> You know, Annika, before we actually get into this fanfic, it sounds like you've got a little, like, top five list in your head. What other fanfics from other fandoms top this in your mind? I need to know. Hey, I can, there, there's definitely one that comes to mind, which is, I think it's called Back from the Future. It is a Star Wars fanfiction in which Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker go back in time to the prequels era, like basically episode three, right after uh, Empire Strikes Back. So Luke agrees to join him and they go back in time <laughs> and fix everything. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. It is just ridiculous, but and it, it takes itself completely seriously, even though everything is, you know, time travel is always wild and it's, told in it's not told sequentially so it goes all over the place and goes back and forth through all of the different things and it's at least 20 chapters long so it's really really long but it's just so amazing and such a great happy ending for those characters who just never ever get a happy ending in in canon so I well, just I found, found it, it on Archive of Our yeah. Own, and yeah. But it was published in 2017, so. Yeah, it's it's not it's not old enough. It's not Although old it enough. started like a couple years before that, but. Speaking about time and just going on a total tangent here, 
it seems like time travel is such a fruitful fanfic theme because I I'm just starting to realize that like counting this episode I'm just glancing back over say our last seven episodes this one and like the six before it and of those four of them are heavy time travel stories and like your favorite you know time travel story your other favorite fanfic you just mentioned is also a time mm-hmm. travel story and I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because if you're like exploring spaces and concepts and possibilities in fan fiction, that goes like just really well with messing about with timelines and, you know, alternate things and that sort of thing. And that is my favorite thing in fan fiction is exploring alternate universes. And I say this, I also believe like when I watch the Harry Potter films and then I'll read the Harry Potter books and I consider those to be alternate timelines of the same story so I can enjoy them both. I don't have to like worry about which one's better or which one I like more. And it's actually like helpful even in real life <laughs> to sort of think of this is this is the the life I'm living but somewhere out there in the universe I, there's alternate universe me <laughs> and you know what's she doing and what kind of life does she have and who what's important to both of us that's our that's my core identity so it's interesting too because like as soon as you bring up the idea of an alternate universe or any sort of you know time travel you're instantly making something sci-fi even if the original series didn't have sci-fi because you're conceptually saying like oh what if and i love that like i i feel like you could always infuse sci-fi into to anything it would just make it better so well I guess let's move into the story itself. And I guess this is an interesting case because even though there are, it is an alternate timeline in this story, it's actually like the time travel part is coming straight from the source. It's not being introduced there by the author. Um, our story today is Absumption. It was published, like you said, 1999, Annika. And it's a Star Trek Voyager fanfic by Dr. Squidlove, which I just want to praise the name of for a moment. <laughs> It's a fun now. Handle. Is this a doctor who loves squids, or this is this a squid, a squid doctor? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's unclear. It's like Doctor Strangelove, but with squids. But I, with I squids. Yeah. <laughs> Which, squids improve everything. Let's be honest. Squids and time travel. Yeah. <laughs> time traveling squids. Yes, that must exist somewhere in the Star Trek universe, right? I think there actually is a metallic time-traveling squid in Discovery. Yes. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true. Now, you can find this fanfic multiple places online, but I'm going to be linking to the AO3 copy because if there is an AO3 copy, why would I not do that? Well, okay, there is a reason why I wouldn't. It would be if the original fanfic had a super cool original website from like back in the day, which, you know, little like animated GIFs and stuff. But in this case, that's not really the case. So we're linking to the AO3 version. So I just wanted to say that I had one of those websites back in the day. Uh, It was, you know, it was on GeoCities. Remember GeoCities? Yeah. yeah. And it was called CatherineIsLonely.com. Oh, (laughs) And it was entirely devoted to giving Captain Janeway friends and loved ones. Aw, that's so sweet. 
So I did have some of my own fan fiction and then I would link to other fanfics. And then I just had these pages where it was like, here's a, a page that's about Janeway and, and it would have the picture and then a little blinking stars kind of thing. And then a, mm -hmm. a quote from something that she says in the show. So I know those sites very well and you can find it in Wayback Machine if you, if you're like nice intrepid enough. <laughs> well, speaking of which, we do occasionally have authors of old fan fiction come on to talk about them. So if there's anything that you think might be worth dredging up, that's always an option for the future, too. I mean, I do, there are, I am very proud of my really old, you know, when I was in high school and freshman English uh, fan fictions, you know, I was, I was very earnest. I will say that's that's a good word for it, but I'm still proud of it because it it's it's earnest. It's me. Absolutely, I think a lot yeah. of people, you know, uh, a lot of authors win. Like we remind them of their old fan fiction and that people are still reading it. Some people are really chagrined, but other people are like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm proud of my work there." Or even I went back <laughs> and read it, and I was surprised how good it was, and I was impressed with myself. <laughs> Exactly. I think we should all be proud. And it also helps me have perspective about what I'm writing now. I can be like, oh yeah, I've definitely improved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we just recently had this conversation when we had an author on who had written fanfic, like she started when she was like 12 or 13 and like finished it in college. And she was saying, looking back on her writing, it was, she was just sort of like, a little bit impressed by herself. And I feel that way when I look back on my younger writing too, is I think we're always our own worst critics. And then we see something mm -hmm. we haven't thought about in a long time. And we're like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So. I mean, I get both. Like the only fan fiction that I wrote to speak of were my old MSTings. And whenever I go back and look at them, like half of my lines still crack myself up. And the other half the time I want to punch mm -hmm. myself in the face. So <laughs> I, I think both can also coexist. Yeah. But getting back to this story, um, it is very, very specifically based on a single episode of Voyager, which is season five, episode six, Timeless. And given that like there's a whole lot of episodes of Voyager and people might not remember them, you think it's valuable for us just to like really briefly outline like what that episode is about before we go into this fanfic? Probably. It's a good idea. And it was, it was the 100th episode of Voyager, so it was a very special one. Ah. Well, I think, Annika, you're probably the person most suited to summarize an episode of Voyager. Okay, so... You want to do it? <laughs> I think it's actually pretty easy to summarize this without giving away too many spoilers or anything, because the plot is very, very simple, and it's just that Harry Kim and Chakotay are, are going to take a shuttle through a slipstream, you know, <laughs> science fiction. <laughs> and they're going to set, you know, go back to the Alpha Quadrant because all of Voyager takes place in the Delta Quadrant. They're lost in space, basically. And, and then send coordinates back to tell Voyager how to get onto the slipstream so they can also, like, follow them to the Alpha Quadrant. Instead, Voyager crash lands onto an ice planet and everyone dies. 
And so Perry Kim and Chakotay, who did get back to the Alpha Quadrant, devote their lives to going back and changing that that history and and fixing the mistake so that that didn't happen. And because they're they're like purposefully going to time travel and to change a the actual timeline and the history. The Federation is after them, and Captain LaForge has to has to chase them down. But they succeed, <laughs> and so so that never happened. That whole episode didn't happen. It turns out. Now, what's interesting about this fanfic is it does follow the events of the story or of the original episode. Uh, like not follow it it sticks to the continuity of the original episode but when i first started reading it i wasn't sure if it would and i think there's a lot of tension because when you're watching star trek you're like no they're of course they're not going to do that they're not going to you know age the characters 15 years and have most of the people die and most of the crew die they're not going to do that in the show they're going to find a way to reset it in this fanfic i actually had some tension thinking like what if this is the new timeline and there are reasons that, you know, the author kind of makes you sympathetic to who the characters have have grown to be while they are trapped on the planet. But we'll talk about that. Well, sure. Let's get into it. Let's clarify what's going on here. The yeah. <laughs> two-sentence summary here on the AO3 copy is, Timeless, the episode, could have been worse. Someone might have survived. And that seems right. like a very apt description because the story goes into the Voyager crashing on the ice planet and not everyone dying and people having to like survive and get things together and figure out who's alive and who can be saved on the ship. And it's very grim. Right. Because there's such, it's just a small handful of people that survive. And some people who survive end up dying of their wounds anyway, because they can't get the doctor online and they can't, you know, sick bay doesn't exist anymore. And so it's a survival story, certainly, which. I, what I think one of the things I really like about this story is that it leans into the potential that Voyager has, which is being completely like cut off from the Federation and not having all of the amenities that they're used to. And this is the absolute extreme of that reality. Right. And it kind of treats um, right off the bat, you know, we start right in the middle of the action it's treating that like immediate tension. And I think the stakes are really heightened, you know, knowing that they are lost, they can't have help. And what, how it goes starting off, it's mostly kind of from Janeway's perspective. She's injured and she gets to kind of like, she and Tom both get to sort of like walk around and, and start ticking off the dead, basically, like seeing who's injured. And there's one scene during this whole thing where they're just like people are saying deceased you know marking it off on the pad like deceased deceased even and a lot of those characters are main characters characters we you know really like from the series so it's really intense right from the start and one of them is naomi wildman which i think that is it's such a, a gut punch uh to to think of a ch the child was was lost in this and, and yeah. you can't get her back. Yeah. Yeah, and I wasn't sure I was going to like this because <laughs> I was like, oh my God. But anyway, sorry, go on, Amato. Oh no. Um, and because this is mostly from Janeway's perspective, there's this 
you know, beyond all the carnage, there's the horror of the fact that she's the one who okayed this plan. And, you know, it's Star yeah. Trek. And so, like, you don't... When the captain okays a plan that, like, is very dangerous, but it just might work, usually it does not result in mass death and horror and, like, you know, traumatic, right. terrible events. Right. Um, but in this case, it's like, nope, she okayed the plan. It was very dangerous, but it just might work. But it didn't. And now all these people are dead and, like, other people are dying. And so through that first part of the story, I, I was kind of, like, just impressed that she was holding it together as a command figure so much. But that also seems kind of in character for Janeway as a captain to be able to kind of, like, set aside her trauma temporarily. That's, um, yeah. <laughs> That's totally in character for Janeway. Actually, I think we. what's unique about this is we get inside her head and see her kind of um, fear a little bit, mostly, like, distress and guilt. Um, which I don't think we get a ton of in the show. Like, she's one of the more reserved captains. Like, I think um, Annika will know what the actress's name is. Kate Mulgrew. Yes, Kate Mulgrew. She does a really great job of showing Janeway's, like, very held back emotions. So you know they're there, but she's, like, always got that straight face, as far as I recall. But, yeah, yeah. this is a... This is interesting also because the I wanted to mention the doctor is offline because, you know, you know about Voyager, the doctor's a hologram. The doctor's offline and Tom is, he's like the uh, assistant medical officer. He is the only other person with medical training that's alive right now. So, <laughs> Annika, help yeah. me out. Who is or, or he's the only me person with medical, other person with medical training on Voyager. Like that's true to oh, canon yeah. is that yeah. once Kess leaves... It's the doctor and it's Tom Paris. And Tom Paris, is, the only reason he was assigned to medical is because he took a course in biochemistry at the academy. So oh my gosh. So imagine, he's not even a real right. doctor. Imagine if someone oh who once took one science course is now your only doctor. Congratulations. Wow. So it emphasizes that this complicating thing, like they're already stranded and now they're in a crisis, as we mentioned before. It's like, these right. people go above and beyond. So, And I think, um, I think you mentioned or someone mentioned just kind of how interesting it is to take away a lot of the resources that the Star Trek type characters usually have. Because like, yes, they have vast medical resources and can perform miracles. But, you know, at this point, Tom's mostly like, I've got some med kits, like I can, I can see that like something's going wrong with this person, but I really can't do anything about it. At, at one point, I feel like they even ask Tom something that like, you'd think that a modern day nurse would be familiar with. And Tom just isn't because I, I forget what that was. But it, like, Tom just like doesn't even have the amount of hands on training that you might expect from like a doctor or nurse back now because right. like they, they lean on the doctor. Right, and why would he? He he would right. doesn't have that. He doesn't need that in a twenty fourth century sick bay. So there's another episode, a uh, year of hell, which is actually a two parter, but it was presented as one. So it's like a movie, a mini Voyager movie, which does the same thing in taking away all of the modern things that the Voyager crew is used to 
and eventually, and it's another time travel one where they make sure that that doesn't happen, but it's just Janeway alone on the Voyager by herself. And she has to crawl to her captain's chair so that she can set the, you know, press the button to make sure that they blow up and, and it, they go back to a good Voyager and a good timeline. And she like really has to crawl through rubble <laughs> and, and sit in her seat. And that's one of my fate. Like that's how I imagine Voyager, uh, Janeway like that's my Janeway picture is she's this person who never gives up who just keeps going because it's the thing that she has to do and so that's what you know what you said about her character in this piece that's very true to who she is at, at the core and I want to go back while we're talking about her character here in this fanfic um I, I like that even though she's like very impressively keeping it together and like being a leadership position and you know giving orders and all that kind of thing you're in your head and you can still see her like being really sensitive to like are people blaming me for all these deaths and it's like how could you avoid thinking that in a corner of your mind in this kind of circumstance and it's not like in a way that really undermines her ability to function but it's like obviously that's like <laughs> the main thing on her mind right. and i also appreciate that just to just to skip ahead the structure of this fanfic, eventually we get a time skip. Right. And you hear, and you kind of leave Janeway's perspective after the time skip. You don't get right back into her head. But another character comments that, like, after the whole crisis, after the crash was averted, everything was stabilized. After that, she kind of fell apart more and went to a dark place. And that also, like, seems totally natural, that it's, like, some kind of, like, you know, adrenaline responsibility, like ability to act under pressure. But then once that pressure is gone, it's like, that's a different kind of mental space to be in. And I appreciated kind of that portrayal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what I said earlier about how it's stories like this that helped me get through the pandemic. And it's that, it's that thing that like, while you're in it, you can't deal with all of the emotions that are, you know, dragging you down and you just have to like go through everything uh -huh. and take care of you know put out all the fires and then when right. you yeah. when you have some time to breathe like when you're going to sleep at night or something and everything comes back and it's just like oh my gosh I I, I can't even breathe I'm I'm ha you know having so many feelings and there's just that rush and it's really it would it's normal I would say to like become completely depressed at that moment or, you know, to have a panic attack or something because it's just, it's just too much. And yeah. fiction like this is what helps me like, you know, deal with, like I can, I can put myself into that position and, and use it as a map. You know what I said about 709, like the reason I chose 709 as my name is because her storyline of getting through childhood trauma and becoming a, a fully fledged adult at the end of it, like that helped me grow up. Like that was, that was what gave me again, a map to, to go forward for myself personally, not to like be too much information, but, and no, no. so as much as you want. <laughs> and so just like, I, I love stories. Like it's, I think that if you read this fiction and didn't know anything about me, you guys can tell me if it's true, you might be like, 
why <laughs> like why would this be your favorite story why would like that's it's really sad and it's all about trauma and everyone dies <laughs> it's just like this is awful like why would anybody want to but for me it's it's triumphant for me it's it's poignant and it's like oh look at you look at these people who lose everything and keep going yeah yeah like i i, I said before I, I wasn't sure if i was gonna like this you know we, sometimes you read tragedies and they're just too i don't know i don't want to say too tragic but like they don't lend anything other than the shock of the tragedy and that's not what this story does this story is very effective like i know my grief response is to get as busy as possible to do as many things as possible you know especially you know related to like you know whatever i can do to help other people or you know keep going keep going keep going janeway is exactly the same way mm -hmm. even you know her thing now to spoil the story a bit she does start hooking up with tom <laughs> Even that, though, is like, you know, it's in a crisis. You're just like adrenaline. Go do do the mm -hmm. thing you thought you never would do, because like, what the heck else are you going to do? Like, geez, you know, everything's falling apart. But then, as we mentioned before, we've got a 15 year time jump. And after she runs out of things to do, she just sort of gets depressed. And I think that is totally normal. And that is. I don't know. It, I think the story does a good job of also making it like still making her seem to be a strong survivor, um, despite all of that as well, while having real feelings, which I think the story does better than the series actually does for Janeway's emotions. Yes. The series never really get lets her get to this place. They they sort of suggest throughout the series that that Janeway can be unhealthy, that she can let her trauma overcome her own like good instincts. But it, it, you said like it's 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 not serialized, it's very episodic. So like you can't have an episodic show where the character, like you couldn't show Janeway acting depressed through more than one episode because if someone came in and watched the second episode, they wouldn't know why that was happening. Like it, they would be lost in, mm -hmm. in the story, which is, it's just a different way of telling, tele, you know, telling stories in television in the nineties versus now. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, that's interesting. It's actually, it would be hard to imagine an, a new Star Trek series being episodic like these old ones were now that I think about it, because things have moved so much into serial storytelling. Right. And that's what's in. Yeah. Right. And it's very different. Like Discovery is a very different show. It's not even utopia fiction anymore. I, I was just like, how is this still Star Trek? I am not sure if it is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, uh, I think you touched in on the JP content here, the Catherine Tom thing. It and I've got to say, like, I was I was <laughs> taken by surprise because just going into the story, at the very top there's notes. Contains JP and spoilers for the episode Timeless, which I hadn't seen yet. Rated R for language, sex, and adult themes. And like, I was kind of expecting kind of like the last, you know, the, the next gen series with um, Crusher Picard or the Deep Space Nine one that we read, Tori, with like, well, okay, that one had some more fucked up sex. But I was expecting <laughs> like 
something a little bit more joyous about these characters getting together because like oh probably this author is a fan of this pairing and so they're like putting them together and that's a happy thing and it's like there's nothing happy about the sex scene here <laughs> it, it is not like yeah the only way in which it's joyous is in the like we are not dead kind of celebration of life yeah it's it's very harsh it's they 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 come together do they have to share a sleeping bag basically because... i just want to cut in there actually because when people are joking about fan fiction tropes being forced <laughs> to share a bed is like one of those like number one things yeah. that gets mentioned there is only uh, one bed right it's like <laughs> in this case like oh there's plenty of sleeping bags it's just that people are going to freeze to death if they don't have extra body warmth it's right <laughs> which, which, like, if you have to have that conversation, if you have to make the decision, we're going to share our our body warmth in order to survive the night. Mm -hmm. That's a little like that's that's starting at a ten in terms of right. the, the danger. And <laughs> they they have a you know a sort of jostling because their bodies react to the situation before their emotions and their minds do. But when they finally do come together, it is sort of like this, it's like, that's a trope also that like after battle, you know, you go and, and find someone to have sex with immediately to, because to remind yourself that you're alive and that like life is not this fight and, and murder and blood, it, that there is something happy and joyous. So I think it is sort of a, grasping for for life and grasping for proof of life and but i do think that the author suggests that they could be they could be happy in a relationship that didn't have all of this trauma involved that they are attracted to each other that that janeway just sort of decided to shelve her feelings <laughs> towards tom because she didn't like that was too complicated and that's how I always felt. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the author suggests them like at least Tom is thinking about Janeway very early on. He's being very caring towards her. And I actually thought this was like, the story is not super long. So I feel like there's just good moments, you know, and one of those moments funnily enough is the first night they're together you know, they're they're cuddling for warmth, basically. Tom has an erection and Janeway feels it, but then they both pass out because they're way too fucking tired. And I thought that was just like, yeah. They're just like, eh, okay. <laughs> We're exhausted. <laughs> We've just been in a crash. So they don't even have sex until, I don't know, the following night. But I thought that was great. I was just, just little details, you know, that make it seem so real. <laughs> and they never talk about any of it. In, the, oh, in know, the story, yeah. like you can imagine that at some point they must have in that in this fifteen year span they must have had a conversation or two about their relationship, but it's not in the story. It's not while it's happening, or they they don't discuss the erection, they don't discuss the sex. It's just that happened, yeah. and now we're gonna you know focus on the crisis. But there is a connection. I I think it kind of works in place of a conversation for that to take place over two nights. Because it means the first time it's like, hey, this is in a sense on the table. And then on the right. second time, they can be like, okay, and we're doing it. Yeah, because yes. a lot was communicated with Janeway just like acknowledging it and then just like 
I don't know, she pulled his arm around her or something, cuddled close to him and fell asleep. You know, it was just like, you didn't need the words. It was just being communicated through their body language. Not that maybe in real life, you should probably have a conversation. I should clarify that. But the author does a good job of showing rather than telling in this. And does make a point of making sure that there's consent. So that's good. Especially oh, yeah. for a, yeah, a story actually, from the yeah. 90s. That's actually very forward thinking. Let's see. Is there anything else that we want to talk about during that like first section of the fanfic, which is the survival story? I don't think that we've mentioned explicitly that most of the characters in the story are not the main cast. So there is Janeway in Paris, but then everybody else that they are stranded with on the ice planet are characters that were in one or two episodes and, and you know, that we don't know as well. So there's Kenneth Dalby and Jenny Delaney, who is one of the Delaney sisters, and Harrison and Vorick. And there's a little reference to, I had to look this up, Harrison and Manic. I was like, who are those two? I don't remember them. They're minor characters, but apparently in one of the novels, I don't know if this is a sanctioned novel or not, they're a couple. So that was like a reference very briefly in the story to yeah. what I believe was a gay couple. But like, I don't remember, like one of them maybe didn't survive, but I think it was Harrison was very concerned about Manic. Yeah, that was a reference to the fact they'd been paired off in one of these offshoot novels. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> like little detail there. <laughs> in terms of only secondary characters surviving, actually Tuvok survives the crash. And I... Like, just, like I said, I'm not familiar with Voyager, but just in this very brief time, I was kind of like, it was vaguely reassuring to have a cynical Vulcan, like, at the right hand of the captain. I was like, this is a dynamic I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, it's good to have a Vulcan around. And then Tuvok dies of, like, you know, brain injuries from the crash. They were not able to be treated because they didn't have the resources. And then they've still got a Vulcan, but it's, what's his name? Vorik. Vorik. just seems like younger, less experienced, less useful. And it's like just another of those extra blows of like things kind of seeming maybe stable or manageable. And then, you know, no, they get worse. Kidding. Yeah. And Vorik to one of the, like, like there is humor in this story, even though it's all very bleak, like nothing good ever happens, but there is, there are like moments of humor and, and again, that poignancy and something I really love is when Janeway says, you know, Vorik, yeah, congratulations, you're chief engineer now. <laughs> and, he's, <laughs> and he's like, I will endeavor to do my job well. It's just like, <laughs> there are no engines, but okay, good job. <laughs> uh, by the way, speaking of main characters, I know nothing about Voyager continuity. I assume Seven of Nine was not on the ship at this point in the series no she was and she oh. dies they, she's one of the people that they they say they go through dead dead oh, dead. okay and she's okay she's one of the people who's checked off the list i didn't realize because i yes they mentioned that seven died and Bellano was in engineering so all of engineering like is gone there's no yeah. engineering so they mm-hmm. know that anybody who was there and i think maybe manic was in engineering too like i think that might be where he died as well yeah, I had to read that part multiple times because I didn't expect it. At first, I thought they were checking off a list of people who survived. 
because I was like, oh, th- of course those people survived. And I was like, oh no, no, they're all they're all dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> so our main our main cast is really only from our main characters. It's just Tom and Catherine, right? Like, yeah. And if- yeah, until the second the second part, the post time skip, we get some more people, but it's it's just yeah. just Yeah, we should I guess we can talk about the time skip then because the the people who crashed, they don't quite get things stabilized. Like we don't <laughs> even get to see them get the doctor back up and running exactly. But we get to the point where, like, they've got a game plan and it seems like anyone who was going to die has died, or at least, you know, of immediate proximal injuries. So in that sense, it's, like, (laughs) stable-ish. And then the author lays a, like, uh, some symbols, some, like, extra number of symbols for a scene transition on us. And then you have to get oriented again. Right. And right. we're even left with Janeway's still like jaundiced and really sick. Um, and she's of course holding it together in true Janeway fashion. But like the last scene is her helping get a hypo spray for Vorik. And it says like, just like her own, their breakfast <laughs> is a nutrient hypo spray because they can't even keep food down. And then yes, the symbols and the transition and it starts out spirits. It was like a ghost ship. Their flashlights bounced strangely off the thick layer of white frost that covered everything. And it's Chakotay and Harry coming back to the ship 15 years later. But you're right, Amato, it takes a second because you're like, what's happening? Right. I, I, I was like, is, is this the two of them who made it away, you know, on the skimmer? Like, is this the same right. time? But it's not. They're, they're back at the Voyager. And they're, ex- they're expecting, as happened in the actual episode, they're expecting that everyone's dead. And so... They're on the bridge and they're exploring and Ch- I think we're in Chicote's head and he's, he goes to the captain's seat and it's like, where's, where is she? You know, Janeway isn't here. And he starts looking around and she's not on the bridge at all. And he's like, wait a minute. Like she definitely would be here. There's no way that Janeway would ever not be on the bridge during this, you know, uh-huh. horrible ordeal. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, then they find evidence that, like, there were at least some survivors back then because they're like, oh, the doctor got pulled out of, you know, wherever the doctor was installed before and that sort of thing. And then they, you know, you even get the, it's not that much tension because we, the readers, do know that, like, people did survive. But because it's 15 years later, you don't know what the, like, the situation is now, right? And so you do, they do get confirmations, like, we've got life signals here and they track down the point which has been made into like an inhabitable shelter, which is the the mess hall, right? Mess hall, yep. And it's still like they, that's where they are in the beginning part as well. It They haven't actually moved out into the ship at all. They just made the mess hall better. And they have like heating ducts and, and a whole setup. And, but it's still like, they, we're still just in the mess hall doing our mess hall things, <laughs> surviving. It definitely makes you consider for a moment the idea of just, like, living in a cafeteria retrofitted to be, like, you know, home to eight people or so for 15 years. And, yeah, definitely as people living through COVID, like, I I had to stop and just kind of contemplate that longer than I might have normally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, yes, so they make, you know, they have to make what counts as home in this like really 
it's one of, it's like a post-apocalyptic kind of story where everything is is awful but we're still alive so what are we going to do you know what are how, what are we going to do to to keep ourselves going and part of that is changing the environment and making it as comfortable as possible and uh, the other part of that is connecting with the people who are left yeah yeah it's uh oh and what i think drives it home is where like amato i think you said we're in chakotay's perspective during this he has a lot of guilt and one of the things he says is he actually he's like sort of hopes that the ship got raided and the the doctor was taken because he doesn't he doesn't think anyone else survived but he knows you know the doctor being a hologram he's like I wouldn't want to live alone in this tomb for 15 years, right? So you, then you get that, and then you come and immediately see uh, a kid runs up to yeah. them, right? They, so. they track down where the life signs are, and they open the door or whatever, and the first thing they face is like, a they say a 12 or 13-year-old kid who like has run over and saying, like, I told you I didn't leave the door open because, you know, the door has opened or whatever. <laughs> and so it's like face-to-face, it's just immediate first, like, vision that like these people have survived and like life has continued like this in the ruins of this ship on Hoth for like 15 years. Right. Um, the, the most possible, like the most visible way is life literally continued with right. here's, here's a child. Right. Right. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, what else are they going to do? They go on living. So basically, yeah, it's like Janeway and Paris get together and have a kid, I think is yeah, pretty much. Are there a couple kids? There are three kids. Yeah. Callan, yeah. Toby, Callan, Toby, and Kit. But it's and not like those are all Jane and Tom's, are they? It's they never actually say like hmm. Toby and Kit aren't really introduced as who are these children. We we know that Callan is Tom and Catherine's son, but the other two, it's it could all like. Uh, the way I read it is that Jenny, Delaney, Harrison, and Ken Dalby are like a polycule, and yeah. and they have these yeah. two kids. Like that's where where I headcanon it, but I don't know what the author intended. I was just thinking about that. That like at this size of social unit, it's just a single family, and like everybody's everybody's kid. Right. You know, exactly. like no nobody here is not a parent. Like. Even Callan, you know, he picks up Kit and he's like, you know, this is this is my little sister, and it it, who knows how it's related, but he she definitely is his little sister in you know any way that matters. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and all you get are the uh, these little hints, you know, of of the life they've had for fifteen years. You don't really get, you know, how these kids grew up. I mean, I guess you just you infer, you know, they grew up in the cafeteria, you know, it's all, it's a very small life. And I think it's interesting too, because there's, you don't get the moments of like the joyous birth of a child. You don't get any of the moments that happened, you know, how, especially the oldest, I think Cal is the oldest kid probably because, you know, he's 13 or so, how he grew up or anything. You just get, you know, here are these kids here are these people that survived and something of Callan's perspective on how his mother has been sad for a long time. His mother being Janeway. Like mm-hmm. he tries to make her laugh. 
like sometimes he can make her laugh. That's what he says. And it's just really sad to like hear a kid say that, you know, about their mom. I felt really devastated. I was like, it's like he's been taking care of her. And and I wasn't sure exactly how I felt about it. Like I get why Jane would be so sad, but it also impacted me like, I don't know, she's always so strong. And it surprises me that maybe Callan's just very perceptive of his mother's feelings, but it surprises me that like her child would be in such a caregiver role for her, I guess. Well, one thing I do like is that it's not entirely chalked up to just 15 years of guilt. It's also that I, I forget who who these words come from, but they mentioned that like it's she's a she was a space captain and like exploring and travel and yeah. being able to like move and you know see things was an important part of her life and so like even more so than like maybe some of them just being having a life that is that confined like that immensely confined it also did a number on her i would that's what i was going to mention as well and also it's tom who says that in he says to harry and chakotay when he's keeping them like a, you know, catching them up to the present. Mm -hmm. And, and Harry is, so Harry Kim thinks that all of this is his fault. He like, as much as Chakotay yeah. is carrying around the guilt, Harry is the one who like, I'm the one who sent the coordinates. I'm the one that uh, caused this crash to happen. And I'm the one who's going to fix it. Like he is just determined to change this around. And he's, you know, sort of like he's gonna do that anyway. He's like, oh well, people are still alive, but that I don't care. We're still going to reset this timeline and make all of this not have happened. Right. And Tom, you know, says, yeah, how how can you like? He's like, I, I'm too guilty. I can't live with this guilt anymore. That's what you know. Harry's perceptive perception mm -hmm. is. And Tom's like, I don't know how you can walk into my you know, ice mausoleum here and say, mm -hmm. and, and think that like, we're, we don't feel that same guilt and that same, like, like we're all dealing with those emotions, buddy. It's not just you. <laughs> and, and he's, you know, he says, I live with Catherine and she's stuck here and she's, you know, this is never, this is nothing like the life that she ever imagined for herself. And I'm here and living in a ship that, that, crashed when i'm the pilot like i'm was the person who was literally flying the ship when this happened and i couldn't land it and i couldn't you know stop us from crashing so if you know there, there's a wide a wide world of of guilt and sorrow here not just yours harry yeah 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 and, and janeway gets to say like you know you guys don't get to decide to change the timeline you know that's not that's not your choice and you know it's funny because it's like, yeah, I think the author wants us to feel like, you know, her sadness is a reason, you know, that changing the timeline would be better for her. And I'm sure in many ways it would, but they're asking her to give up her children. Uh -huh. Like they're asking the same thing of Tom, like the whole life they've built. It's an incredible, um, and it's an incredible thing. It's like, no one would give up their children. Like, I don't think, I mean, maybe some person would, but uh, not uh, the best of people. It's, well, it's, I don't know. It's very tense, I guess. 
I guess the other thing that makes that conversation more poignant than it sometimes is in this sort of story is that they don't need to change the timeline. It's not like life or death. Even the information they were trying to get back to the Federation for the war got back to the Federation. And it's like the Federation is chasing Harry and Chakotay because they're trying to change time. But they can signal down, you know, Jordy's ship and like the other, everyone else will get saved. It's not like the same kind of like, oh, but we need to make the tough choices for like the larger good. It's it's not quite that, except for all the people who died, which, you know, like th there is that. And but and the suffering and, you know, the trauma and all that. But like, I feel like there's more space there than some time travel narratives give for people like Janeway to say, like, no, like you, you've got to let things lie. And like, we've got to continue from right. here. And Tom says, no, yeah, I, I live in this shell of a ship and I live with Janeway, who has taken self-flagellation to an art form, which I think is a beautiful line that I love. And, line. but I've also lived with people who are my family now. Everyone in this room is my family and we're closer than I've ever had, you know, this, and I don't want to give that up. Like that also matters. Like everybody who's dead is already dead. So what about the people who are alive and shouldn't their survival count for something as well? Like in the scale of what do we do with this? In the meantime though, like Chakotay especially, and also Harry have spent all this time basically like running from the Federation because like by doing this, they've made themselves fugitives on the sole purpose of resetting the timeline. So this they're is invested. like a bit for them. They're very invested. Like, I don't think they're going to change their perspective very quickly. But um, Chakotay actually yeah. does. Like, yeah. that's what's so interesting is that Harry is just like, no, I don't like, I don't care about any of you alive people. I am just going to do, <laughs> do what I came here to do. But Chakotay, like, instantly is like, yeah, obviously we're not going to reset the timeline. You people are here. We, we can't. And And I just think that is... It's a good grasp of character for mm -hmm. those yeah. two differing. So e even though both of them have dedicated 15 years to coming to this point and fixing things, Chakotay immediately, you know, switches his his ideas. Whereas Carrie is clinging to, I have to reset this so that I don't have to live with this guilt anymore. Yeah, that's true. That's a good distinction, and it doesn't feel completely unreasonable of a turnaround either because Chakotay's assumption was that everyone had died and that turned out to be absolutely not the case. So like, that's a big, that's a big data point to change in terms of the plans you're making. Right. <laughs> but then speaking of children, that kind of leads us into how the story is resolved. So for at this point in the story, you're reading and you're like, oh, okay. So this is like a variation on, you know, the, the original episode is based on timeless, except that they don't change the timeline and go back to the original timeline. Right, yeah, it seems like they're not going to. That, that was the whole thing, is I was like, oh, this is going to be different. No. no. <laughs> and this is where that timeless could be worse sentence really comes in, because it they they do. They do reset the timeline, and they erase everything, all those, all those 15 years and three children. And so and they, they is Harry with the cooperation of uh, the oldest son, like the firstborn child yeah. in this community. Which 
oh my gosh. So like, I think there's something really poignant about Callan, especially, you know, the little information we've been given about him. He really cares about his mom and he's been a caretaker for his siblings and his mother and everyone, you know, and he's like, clearly this would be better for mom. So I'm going to do it. But he's like 13. So I don't know why the adults in this situation are like, oh, you want to erase your own existence to make your mom happy? That's cool. Just do that. Like, but, but that's just Harry, right? We're it's not to take Harry. that Harry. We're not taking that anybody Harry else now. agreed to this. We're to take that it's just Harry and and, and the kid. And that's Kinda like messed up, right? <laughs> that's yeah. the tragedy from my point of view, because Harry, who has been stuck in that decision for the past 15 years, like I really feel like he he's just like made up that like he's like me like me he is imagining harry of another universe uh, having a much better life where everyone's alive and he he doesn't have 300 souls on his you know weighing him down so i i understand why harry makes this decision and i i can understand why callan makes this decision if he you know that can't be an easy life like nothing about right. ice planet is good <laughs> and there you know he there's like dead bodies everywhere so of course from a, a child's perspective like not ha like this being a living breathing place i'm sure they've, they've they've told countless stories about what it was like before and he can imagine and probably like saw it on you know watching the adults talk about it probably like heard them say I wish I was there. Like, even if they didn't use those words, right. yeah. he, he can imagine and extrapolate that that's what they want. And so it makes sense for those two characters to make this decision, but it's the wrong decision. It's just <laughs> right. so sad and horrible. I also think it's kind of strange because, like, I think Callan's main motivation is to make his mom happy. I get that. And he's a kid. But it's like, they've essentially been rescued at this point. Like, maybe not by the Federation, but they can all leave. They can well, go explore. They can continue on from here. But that's well, not... I mean, they, they, you know. they make a plan. They're like, okay, you know, you two are still fugitives, so you take the Doctor out of here, because we're not sure that, like, he's going to be granted sentient right. rights by the Federation. And the rest of us will wait here and be picked up by the Federation ship. Like, they've got a game plan. Yeah, everyone's going to get off that planet. Um, yeah, but then, they would have, yeah. <laughs> just like... Just like the last transition from a timeline, though, this one kind of happens before all the particulars get kind of resolved. It's just kind of like once it seems like the situation is kind of stable and they've got a game plan and like kind of are going to be moving forward from there, we get hit with the same like, you know, uh, noticeable, clearly distinctive scene transition out. And then we're with Janeway watching so... Tom and... Yeah, sorry. Go on, Amada. I was going to say watching Tom and, how do you say her name? Balana. Balana. Arguing over yet another holotech game, unquote. Um, yeah. And it's like she, we're with her in her head a little bit, and she's pensive because she is the only person who has received the full message from the future that told them not to do the thing that caused everyone to die. But unlike the original story, <laughs> it's not just that message. There's like an appendum. Right. Well, I wanted to make just a note on this scene transition. It's like, it's so jarring, but like very deliberately so. And I mm -hmm. think very effectively so. Because now 
Janeway's observing Tom and Bellana. She's had, you know, she doesn't remember her whole relationship with Tom, but I feel like she's had these, she has gotten messages now. And so she's kind of aware of what happened, I suppose. And what she sees in Tom and Bellana's relationship is just like, she's basically like, I don't understand it. They don't even seem like they like each other. And it's like, in a, I think what's jarring is you go from a setting where people were just trying to survive to a setting where people have the luxury of being in a shitty relationship. You know, there's so many people <laughs> to choose from. Like, not that the, you know what I mean, right? Like, it's not that that's a great thing, but it's like, in a survival setting, that wouldn't even be a concern. Like, oh, should I break up with this person? It's like, there are five people. So <laughs> it just, it's, I don't know. I think it's extremely effective to kind of slot that back in. And then also because I think the author wants Janeway and Paris to get together um, in I some mean, way. I know I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I never really thought about it, but this fanfic is convincing. I, I think they work. Well, for that scene where she's watching Tom, all you know is that, like, we're back in non-death timeline, mm -hmm. and that apparently she does know something about the other timeline, and so that is kind of, like, part of the, the lens she's looking at Tom and, you know, this relationship over there through. But then the, the fanfic closes on the, the other message that she got through Seven's implant, which is, I guess, the, the Star Motor Trek. transportation. You know, yeah, right. The, <laughs> The techno babble, mm -hmm. you know, way that they were sending messages back in time in this case. And Pixie, you want to tell us about the other message that was given to Janeway? So they have, you know, they Harry and Callan had like five minutes to get this done before someone discovered what they were trying to do and stopped them. So Harry's in the back, like rushing around, making it happen. And we just get Callan talking to the view screen, you know, saying, I, I'm your son from another timeline and I, I really love you and I want you to be happy. And so I'm going to help Harry make that happen. And he doesn't, you know, he says, um, I'm not going to tell you who my dad is because I don't want to mess up the timeline even more. But you did say that, you know, from the first moment you saw him, you always thought about, uh, if there was going to be a, if there's going to be something or, you know, you still look at him with love, you know, even though it's been 10 years, 15 years now. And so you should give it a, you know, you, he like encourages her to, you know, go for it, mom. <laughs> and maybe then I'll, maybe then I'll exist in this timeline too. And that is just so heartbreaking to me that yeah. this, yeah. this kid, this, 12 year old is is saying goodbye to his mother who's saying i'm giving up i'm sacrificing my life for you to have a happy ending and that that she does like she knows who it is she knows who he's talking about and she realizes that that there is like it's so it's just so sad in every way because it's like i could have this relationship that i think i maybe want but i would have to literally like, you know, exchange the lives of every single person on my ship other than, than us. And, you know, so thinking it from that, that Janeway perspective, it's like, which choice are you going to take? Are you going to take the choice where everyone's dead, but you have a 
lover and a family and, a, and children, or are you going to take the, I'm completely alone, but hey, at least everyone's alive. Well, not that that's like an actual choice that she can make anymore, but you're right that that is like, that's heavy. And I feel like it, the message also kind of lets me almost relate to what Callan's doing, but in a tragic, an even more tragic way, because it's like, you know, he's a kid and he's got this like, you know, kid immortality, like young person not really being able to conceive of death. So like he's gotten out, he's like, oh, well, maybe I'll still be born even, you know, in the future, like if my mom and dad get together, even though it's not really how any of this works like for you as a person Callan but like you can you can see how like he could be naive enough to be like look I can save everyone and things will still work out okay for me and you know it's it's kid logic right which is just also still heartbreaking completely heartbreaking it's just so and that's why like this story stays with me for so many years because it's just, it's so heart-wrenching. Everything that happens, it just can, like, you know, you mentioned that we, we think Tuvok's going to be okay and then Tuvok's not okay. You know, we think <laughs> that that they're going to escape and no, they're not going to escape. It's like, they, there's yeah, like this, yeah. we're going to grasp something better than what we have and then they take it away. And but, it's every step of the way. Yeah. You know, it's like there's no good choice. <laughs> And it, right, right. It's also pulling it out under you based on the original episode because changing the timeline is the happy ending in the original episode. I know. And so, but by the time right. you're at the end of this fanfic, you're like, no, don't change the <laughs> timeline. <laughs> don't do that. Stop. Yeah, it's really. It it makes it hard to watch that episode and and not like imagine that this happened and just like no, right. like it's all. Yeah. I still feel conflicted even at the end too, because I still have, you know, my affection for the characters who died in this timeline that was presented to us. And I'm like, I want them to come back like an audience would. And like in the episode, you'd be like, yes, that's the happy ending. Everyone comes back. And this just gives you like the toughest choice. Cause I think the right answer would have been to keep going, not to reset the timeline. Right. But like as an audience who loves the characters who died in this timeline, you feel like sort of selfishly, like you want them to come back. You want things to get back on track. And also, you know, you want Janeway to go on be an explorer and blah, blah, blah. But like, even that doesn't really happen because now she knows what she lost. So she's still going to be suffering. Like, oh, heartbreaking. Worst of both worlds, I know. Yeah. Right, the worst of both worlds. Yes, exactly. They're just, everyone is sad. Except, and it's, it's also, you know, the way that we end with Janeway and shouldering that burden by herself. Harry doesn't right, know right. what she saw. Tom doesn't know what she saw. She chooses not to tell anyone. Like, yeah, <laughs> which is really, which is very Janeway. That's exactly what she would do. But it's just so sad. It's like, that's just another burden on someone who just collects burdens <laughs> yeah right. here's another one for her to have well she doesn't so. want harry to feel guilty so she chooses not to tell him but right. that means yeah she's got to take it all on and, and it's totally in character I, I think if anything like her characterization is great in the story but it just i don't know it makes your heart break for her quite a bit and to be fair, I feel like that is a little implied in the series, too, because she does that. She takes on these things she doesn't have to do. It's just that in the series, 
you're supposed to view her more as like the strong captain figure and not think, I think you're not like necessarily supposed to think as much about how it must impact her internally. Hmm. Right. So I'm going to take this opportunity to remind you that the name of my website was katherineislonely.com. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely in the series that she is, you know, Janeway is an island. And every once in a while, she will reach out to someone or someone else and and have that connection. But it it's never permanent. And it's it's mm -hmm. always, you know, sort of a a choice that she has to make, like, okay, I'm going to try now and, and pull back. And that doesn't mean that she's not a part of the crew. Cause she is very sort of hands-on, but she's hands-on in a, a, like, in a way that keeps people at bay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about the captains and I was like, oh, I guess you could say Picard is an island too. But then I was like, but no, He's not stranded. He has old friends he talks to, you know, he has connections, his love for the Federation. He's connected to the Federation. Like Janeway is in a very unique position to be extremely isolated. She still has to be a captain and retain, like retain professional distance, but not be able to talk to any of her friends or family back home. You know, that's oof. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I just got all the feels for Janeway right now. <laughs> You're great. Keep going, Janeway. We love you. <laughs> Eventually she gets home. That's the happy ending. <laughs> Speaking of happy endings, are we ready to do some final thoughts about this story, do you think? Yeah. I, well, I've been thinking for the last couple of minutes, though, because we... We end on complaints about the fanfic or things that we think the fanfic could do better. But that can be tough with short, very well-written stories like this is. Because <laughs> when you have the author have a strong idea in mind of what they're trying to do and then execute it very well, there's not a lot of room for complaints. I've been kind of mm -hmm. trying to think of anything. And I don't know. Do either of you have something? I mean, the only thing that I would complain about is that I would love to see the time in between the time, the time jumps. I would love to see the 15 years. Uh, but that's just sort of my own personal preferences because I love curtain fic, which is people doing nothing and, and just <laughs> exploring their feelings, you know, while they're doing something mundane. And I think that's what it would end up being because even though it's like a survival, you know, they, they have to figure out how to, you know, do the aqueducts and figure out how to bring the doctor online and figure out where they're going to get food and stuff like that. But that those are just chores. And so uh -huh. I think it was brave. And I even think it was good that the author chose not to do that, but it is what, you know, at, just as someone who loves this story and loves the idea of, of these characters, it's like, I would like the, the other story, the, the additional. Yeah. I will say the author does a good job of making these jarring transitions sort of actually quite effective, but I actually like mine's a little similar. I want a little bit more out of the emotional stories of the characters. Like there's a lot that's put out there, but like we get this jump from Janeway active captain to Janeway tragically sad. And even then, it's only from an outsider perspective. I want a little more inside her head. 
um, especially after the time jump to see like what she's reflecting on, what, you know, what she cares about, how she's feeling, how she's processed this, like, or even just see her, like, what does she do, you know, in this world right now? Like, how does she parent? What is her role? I feel like she feels a little bit empty at the end. Like other people are talking about her and she doesn't get mm. to talk. Um, I, I think it's implied, like it's not a huge criticism. I just, I just want a little bit more from her during that, that time. Yeah, I understand what you two are saying, especially when you talk about kind of like fleshing out the world of the survivors, which is very, you know, like you do want to learn more and you do get very little. Um, I, I think it's impressive. I, I was impressed by the time jump, the continuity jumps, just because the author was so deliberately doing it at the very first moment you could rather than having any extraneous or extra like content in those right yeah it's just like and i've never seen anybody be so disciplined about not exploring their world that they're creating any more than necessary like as an author that's fair yeah but you're right actually pretty impressive but you're right that does like it does leave you wanting a little bit more than you get I think that it's partially, you know, it's a product of its time kind of thing where, so I read this on Jupiter Station, which was a JP fan fiction collective. But like, even, even though it did have its own like website and it like having multiple chapters was a choice. Like it was very, like there were very different ways to like, if you had multiple chapters, you you had to send them out. Like they, it wasn't like AO3 where you, you can get a little like ping and it says, Oh, a new chapter and you can go and read it and you can choose to wait till it's all done to read it. It's like, you either have to read it each one as it comes or it's just, it's just a, a different way of, of finding fan fiction. And my, you know, and I don't know this author, I did interact with them through Jupiter Station, but we like, I don't know what, where they went or, or anything about it. After that. I just, I only know we were all together on Jupiter Station, which had a, you know, it had a gallery and it had a fan fiction archive and then it had a, a, what are they called? A board, a message board. So hmm. we would all be like talking to each other through that. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like we were Twitter friends and we're talking about other stuff and the the story. So it was just like a, like a different way of experiencing fandom. And I feel like they made this choice to like, I'm going to tell one story at once and, you know, and present it this way. And if they were going to input the missing scenes in between, then that would be a different story. Like that would be a different, that would be a longer bigger endeavor in this weird way of of doing fanfic because we were just crossing over to like the archive idea it was still very much mailing lists and that kind of stuff going on that reminds me apropos of nothing before we move on to praise it turns out dr squid love does have an old geocities looking <laughs> uh website which they link to at the bottom of this story. So, you know, the AO3 link can stand. You can track it down. The GIFs are not animated, but it's still <laughs> just like texts of different colors against a black background. It's great. I love it. And at, 
as we are about to perhaps move into our final praise, I do also want to mention that this website informs me that Absumption won first place in the Best General Romance Angst Story Voyager category in 1999 in the ASC Awards, and also the Best Janeway Paris Story in the same year in the ASC Awards. I had to do a little digging, but the ASC Awards are not the American Society of Cinematographers, which Star Trek series have also won awards from. It is the all Star Trek Creative Awards, as in the news group. Um, so, just we we've got some outside, you know, seconding of this as having been a very good story. Yay! <clears throat> yeah, it was a very good story. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, what is your favorite thing about this fanfic, everybody? Oh my goodness! I <laughs> just all of it. All of it is my favorite thing. I love that it does explore uh, second tier characters and give them something to do. I love that. I, I'm a, a sucker, actually, for kid fic. I, I know that's like an unpopular opinion in fan fiction, but I, I love it. And that the, the, the Janeway Paris of it all is very, maybe organic is the right word because it's a, it's a product of what is happening. It's like it's in reaction to the situation, but it still feels completely true to both characters and to the story that's being told. And I just really appreciate that. I I really I love <laughs> I love trauma. That sounds horrible. But <laughs> Who doesn't? I love I love trauma <laughs> in fiction. Let me put, let me be very specific. That's I, the root of conflict, right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, I there's I've there's never been a, a medical drama that I didn't love, and I'm like glued to SVU at, at all times because those are stories that you know something horrible is going to happen every episode, but also something really good and triumphant, and like getting past the trauma is also going to happen every episode, and that's what this yeah. feels like. It feels like we're going to get into this really bleak, dire, horrible, dark place. And we're going to come out of it at the end. And we're going to come out of it having learned something and having learned something about ourselves, having learned something about how we react to things. And that's just, that's what I'm looking for in, in stories. You know, <laughs> it's funny um, that was a really good way to identify like what makes survival narratives so effective. Like I would have maybe leaned on saying like, I don't really know, or don't really understand what the purpose of a survival narrative is, but Annika identified it super well. So that's part of what I like about this fan fiction is I, I got mm -hmm. to have that opinion from Annika to me. Um, and also, you know, this was your pick. Um, it's not something I would have picked, but I think every piece of it is done effectively. I wouldn't have put Paris and Janeway together, um, but this author like put them together and it totally worked. I think a part of that is because it's hard to imagine Janeway actually getting together with anyone. She's limited to only her crew in her world, basically. So that's like, you know, it doesn't seem right. Like she is the captain, but in this story, they're able to do that because of their situation. I feel like what this author has done super effectively is put every piece together and it's impressively short. Like we mentioned the transitions, you know, are really rapid, um, somewhat jarring, but I think effectively so. And Amato, you mentioned the, the discipline it takes not to 
explore all those details. I was feeling that. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this author maybe is just that sort of person, but I do think they included all of the necessary information and not much more than that, which I think is, yeah, admirable indeed, because I have the opposite. For myself, I'd say my first part of the story is the first section, the survival narrative, and not because the rest of it's bad, but both because I like the the whole twist on the survival narrative of like having to comb through the wreckage of their super, super high tech advanced, you know, starship with which should have everything they could possibly need, but they've got to like figure out what they can actually get working and using. But also I like it just because it's a really strong hook. Like when you start reading this story, like it's got you right from the very beginning. Um, and, and it's able to maintain that momentum. I feel like going through because of the, the focus and, you know, kind of tightness of the plotting. Um, I just like how, how quick it gets moving on those rails and can kind of proceed as a story. Yeah, it's a very strong beginning, for sure. So I think that's about it. Is there anything else we want to say about this story before we close out? I'll mention the title, Absumption, is not okay. a word, but I, I love it, and I have used it <laughs> myself and and, uh, and have to remind myself that it's not a word, but I, it is to me. They totally convinced me that that was a word because I don't think we mentioned the story starts out with assumption is the title and the definition there is um, it's like the process of being consumed or something that consumed by, oh, I just had it pulled up, but it's quite a good word. I wish it was a real one. I completely assumed it was a real word. I never thought to second guess <laughs> yeah, the author about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I again, I only know that because I have this long history, and I tried to look it up. <laughs> mm. You know, while we have you here, I just want to ask you one more question. I'm here on Dr. Squid Love's old website, and under the heading of their Star Trek Voyager section, they mm -hmm. say they finally quit watching the show halfway through season six when I really couldn't bear any more Paris Taurus. <laughs> What's your reaction to this? So I'm a huge multi-shipper. I ship everything. I especially Janeway. Janeway is the most shippable character in all of Star Trek. I ship her with everyone in her own series and everyone in all other series. And also like Princess Leia. And <laughs> just just yeah. go beyond <laughs> anyone out there. Laura Roslin, absolutely go for it. But that said, Janeway Paris is my favorite. It's a so it's, what I call it is uh, I ship the powerful woman and the infatuated subordinate. So that's Janeway and Paris. And it's also Laura Roslin and Leah Dama, General Organa and Poe Dameron. Like that's mm -hmm. a dynamic that I really enjoy. And so I was, like, I was Janeway Paris from the beginning and we've since learned like Robert Duncan McNeil has confirmed that the showrunners were, were considering that, that they were like, they were setting them up to be a couple um, before they switched over and decided that they would do Jamie Chakotay and Paris Torres. So you can like in like the second season that it starts shifting and it, it becomes that dynamic is not as, as present 
throughout the rest, although it's still mm. there. Like I, I can give you every single time in, in, in the, in the series. So this is a long uh, answer, but so when we get to Paris Torres, I, the problem with Paris Torres is that there are some episodes where it's completely believable. And I really like, like them together. And I feel like they can get somewhere, but there are other episodes where it's like, it's like an afterthought. It's like they forgot that they were dating. And so they mm -hmm. sort of shove them into the story together, but it doesn't work because it, it, it there's this one episode where Torres is self-harming and Tom doesn't know a, and doesn't like have anything to say or, or do, or like doesn't help in any way. Like Tom does nothing in the episode. And so that's a right. example of like, why are you guys dating if you're not going to use that for these stories? And so I understand where Dr. Squid Love is coming from because I don't think it's the best written <laughs> relationship of all time. But when they, when you know when it is when it's when they hit the the nail on the head then it's really sort of charming and i can get behind it yeah that that sort of feels like star trek relationships though like they're there <laughs> when you need them to be you know but if if you don't want to worry about it then just don't <laughs> <laughs> all right well anika thank you for bringing your favorite story to our attention and your encyclopedic knowledge of Voyager in specific and Star Trek in general. If people want to hear more Star Trek content and thoughts from you, where can they find you online? So I'm on Twitter at Manic Pixie Dane. And if you go to my website, which is manicpixiedust.com, then you can go, like I'm on everywhere else, but I'm most like I would interact easiest with me on Twitter, but you can find me other places. And also at manicpixiedust.com are my Voyager recaps, uh, in addition to other Star Treks and other series, and also fashion projects where I talk about everything that Captain Picard ever wore and why it's awesome and tells you something <laughs> about his character. So those are all things you can find at manicpixiedust.com. And finally, I also have a Star Trek podcast antimatter pod that i do with my friend liz who lives in australia so we have like you know we get the whole world in between us and that can be found at antimatterpod.tumblr.com or also antimatterpod on twitter i think i've noticed you've also done some nice. writing for women at warp right yes yes i have i right. i was actually uh, their their first the first post on their blog was by me. I feel, <laughs> wow. I feel very special. Awesome. It makes me very <laughs> happy. So, <clears throat> so they'd been doing the podcast for a while. When they decided to start a blog, I got to be the first one. And it was about Bellana, so. <laughs> <laughs> and as for us, I'll be repeating our contact information again shortly as usual. But this was episode 112 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Absumption, apparently not an actual word, by Dr. Squidlove. We'll be providing a link to the AO3 copy on the show notes, and you can then follow that over to the uh, author's old Geocities looking website, which is rather <laughs> tasteful and not eye-searing or animated compared to the things that, you know, uh, I remember from the day. The intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. We don't have anything quite as cool as the Star Trek 
original series uh, vocal opening, but we'll work on that. The outro <laughs> song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our show is edited by Dom Davis. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com, but, you know, that's a website where you download the episodes, basically. Uh, the short link there is bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have comments, questions, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic, or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. We should have the, um, we should hopefully have the Discord channel open for people to communicate with us and each other about fanfiction or probably, you know, other things as well by the time this show goes live. So you should be able to find in links to that as well on things like the show notes or our Twitter account. You can also leave comments or reviews on the podcast service that you use to listen to podcasts. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And I'm Annika. We're just three Earth life forms trying to survive the global pandemic until someone from space comes to rescue us. Until next time, take care. I feel like I want to watch Voyager now. Like, I feel like I have new insight. <laughs> What's Voyager? Yeah. I, I get that feeling a lot of the time when we have guests. I mean, also with like... Yeah. Anything, right? If you start but, talking about it. <laughs> but with small children, like... We can watch an episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend every two nights, and that's like as ambitious as it can possibly be. <laughs> so that's not happening anytime soon. <laughs>